You watch any of this hurricane stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so. that was perfectly content to take some time off from recording an episode this week. Until, that is, we received a mysterious communique from a local official that suggests a hidden truth that our leaders have been hiding from us, possibly for generations. The message? An obvious and cheap cover-up coming on the heels of an inconvenient intrusion of reality. Reads like this. Dear Families, Earlier today, a substitute staff member accidentally knocked a button that turns on a rarely used alarm that sounds like a foghorn. Since we do not use this alarm system regularly, there was some brief confusion about whether this was a fire alarm or other security alarm. Some classes very briefly went into lockdown. Classes resumed quickly after the distraction. We will work to disarm or better communicate the use of this alarm to avoid confusion in the future. Much love. Redacted. Oh, she's so great. In the 30 or so hours since this unexploded bombshell was delivered into this podcast's inbox, we have only just begun to uncover the horrible truths that this message hints exist just below the surface of our idyllic civic lives. An alarm that sounds like a foghorn? An alert system whose true purpose is known only to a select few. We are some 150 miles from the coast, it must be noted. Yet for unknown or at least publicly undisclosed reasons, our schools are equipped with a nautical warning system designed to inform ocean-going vessels in the event of severe weather that they are in imminent danger of crashing headlong into unforgiving earth? Answers have thus far been difficult to come by, but rest assured this podcast will not stop asking the right questions until whatever terrible truth they're trying to hide from us, the God-fearing, tax-paying, great American citizens of all political and religious affiliations who are the real backbone of this country. Questions like, is the government or some other affiliated entity preparing to use our schools as lighthouses or even perhaps as large ships or arcs in the event of catastrophic sea level rise leading to global flood? Who will have access to these facilities when the waters start to rise? Is there any reason to believe that we have fallen behind the Red Chinese or Putin's reforming Soviet bloc in the design and deployment of these floating emergency structures? Will they be equipped with an offensive arsenal or merely defensive countermeasures? And what is the precise ratio of virile men to women of childbearing age that will allow for a quick replenishment of the population after the waters have receded? You mentioned the uh, ratio of uh, 10 women to each man. Uh, wouldn't that necessitate the abandonment of the so-called uh, monogamous sexual relationship? I mean, as far as men were concerned. Regrettably, yes, but it is, you know, a sacrifice required for the future of the human race. I hasten to add that since each man will be required to do prodigious service along these lines, the women will have to be selected for their sexual characteristics, which will have to be of a highly 
stimulating nature. And it is of paramount importance that whatever the perfectly reasonable answer to these questions, that we figure out just who tried to blow the lid on this whole thing. What anti-American infiltrator has slipped into our school and just started pushing unmarked buttons willy-nilly? There's a war on, after all. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here, too. How you doing, Lori? Fine. Lori's fine. Tonight is Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. As indicated at the top there, Abe, I was, in fact, perfectly content to skip recording this week. We had visitors this weekend, lovely people. My sister, her husband. Maybe the best people. Very calming, soothing presence to have them around, Mayo and Catherine. I mean, I'm sure part of it is I didn't really engage with Twitter or any of the news all weekend and instead just sort of hung out, watched sports and played board games. So I got to Monday night and after having perused the news for a couple of hours on Monday afternoon, I wasn't properly riled up with any takes. You watched a little news on Sunday. We watched the Sunday morning shows, but... Nothing was like really they were boring. jumping out at me. Right. But here we are. And we found it. I found it within me in the last 48 hours or so to get <laughs> properly riled up at everything. Good. Doesn't take long. Good news for everybody else, obviously. <laughs> By the way, the, the person who drafted that message uh, must have been laughing or. No. Just if the she way was, that it's written. She was. Laughing at the situation, but from a from a place of true concern, like she is the cartoon ideal of an elementary school principal. Okay, she is a one thousand percent elementary school principal, and it's like a bummer that we can't say her name because it is no, we, what we you could. would it just hope. Wouldn't be smart. It just wouldn't be nice. It was what you would, if you can imagine the name of an elementary school principal who is wonderful, that's her name. Okay. I mean, because it didn't really answer anything, right? I mean, like the email. Nope. It only, it only raises questions. It doesn't answer (laughs) any questions at all. Like I know, I mean, to the people who experienced it. It, it's helpful to tell them like it sounded like a foghorn. What the fuck was it? Like you don't know? Right. Like you don't know what Why it was? Why is there a button or a, a lever somewhere in the school <laughs> that is poorly marked, right? Like right. it must be poorly marked because somebody hit it or pulled it. Or and, and it's not out of the way. It's, it's somewhere like within, you know, somebody bumped into it or it's not like in the right. ceiling or, some or somewhere hard to reach. substitute comes in and says, hey, what's this button do? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing this isn't like a, a substitute nuclear technician or something along those lines. Like, you know? This is this is new. <laughs> I've never seen this. But, Let's like, see what, what is happens. A button? Like, obviously, I'm being silly with the open, I guess, but like, what does the fucking alert do? The, foghorn sounding alarm that is not a fire alarm and why don't they use it that's right. cool <laughs> so uh, it's got to be some sort of distress signal and it's it would be distressing to to share that with uh, the parents nuclear is all i can think right of. like is it a throwback right. to like because the <laughs> yeah, school is old enough like it's it's a pre-red dawn like sort of school 
<laughs> so maybe it is. It's a uh, here come the Ruskies kind like of it alarm. It really might be that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess it, it would be uncalled for. Better, better to leave it mysterious like this than to come up with a fake backstory, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, you're actually communicating. Because I would say, like, oh, it's an outdated PA system thing, and it just made this weird noise, so don't worry. We're going to uninstall it. I want to go to the next uh, the next PTA meeting and give the exact speech that I just gave at the top of this show. <laughs> you should. You should do it. Ha- apply for a school bus driver job while you're there. Yeah, that's just right. who they want driving the bus. They, they, they must have They're gotten some a, they emails. They can't afford just, to be picky right now. Yeah. <laughs> They must have received some emails like, what? No. Like, no. I almost, I, I did not, and I still might, but I want to send her an email that just says, is this school a lighthouse? <laughs> <laughs> no, what definitely happened is that every little thing that happens, they don't want the kids to be the ones delivering the information to the parents. Right. And that probably goes yeah. all the way up to high school, but especially when you have idiot children, right. you don't – there was an alarm and we had a lockdown, right. like <laughs> – and it's like, uh, That's true. why didn't yeah. I hear about – like, she has to get out in front of every yeah. little thing. Right. But it's that's like what makes her were scared. great because yeah, no. you can't get mad. Yeah. A little, like little a more detail wouldn't have hurt. You can ask more questions if you're welcome to. <laughs> you do anything fun this weekend, Abe? Um, this weekend, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, it was, I'm sure it I was did. a good two, three it days ago. Too long <laughs> ago. <laughs> really, it's weird. It, it's Wednesday's beyond my. I can't go back two days. I yeah, mean, we're, usually we're do practically this on the next Monday. weekend already. What the fuck am I asking? <laughs> what am I even asking for? We had a. Uh, we had, like I said, we had a good time. We had visitors, very pleasant, uh, low maintenance visitors. Like the actual most low maintenance person that I know is Bob's sister. Yeah, it, she just genuinely whatever. We had uh, both sports happened. Calvin Calvin had a terrific uh, athletic weekend. He was the goalkeeper for his soccer team. He pitched a shutout, and that didn't allow in any goals. Made two like legitimately great saves. Uh, including one on a penalty kick and another like leaping he jumped as high as, hi- as, he as high could. as his not a lot of ups as it turns yeah, out yeah it's uh, not very high but he jumped as high as he could right. and as high okay. as he could is roughly like you know what i can jump i'm not a great <laughs> not a great leaper my vertical's not great but he he ex- he extended to his maximum height and and blocked a very strong shot that would have gone in and then he turns around and uh, the next day uh, puts in a couple good innings as catcher and first baseman at the baseball game that we won. Uh, we got our, our first win of the young season. Oh, nice. Now, now one The rally one. starts now. Okay. No losing going forward, I take it. No. Yeah. Got that out of the way. Unlike the Giants, started with all of their wins. And then... <laughs> You think that's it? Yeah. That was fun, though. Down sledding from here? I, I'm glad that we didn't record on Monday, first of all, because I like literally I had no idea what I was going to talk about. Uh, and then instead we, we got, got to watch to, the Giants and Cowboys on the yeah, – and, and the Manning cast was on, the, the Manning oh, brothers. That's fun. That's fun. Uh, Buck that's and so – Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman are a perfectly fine professional broadcast crew. Who would, uh, It's hard to hate them. Not that they're right. – 
you know, it'd be weird to be like a huge Joe Buck guy as far as like your favorite play-by-play announcer goes because he's just extremely this combination of a very milk toast sort of down the middle of the road play-by-play guy who also is constantly putting on sort of like a smarmy lounge singer sort of act that he wants us to know that he knows that he's doing an act when he's okay. doing his sort of smarmy like right. so it, he's trying to like a fucking my old thing about beer commercials or the or the eat my shorts uh, catchphrase from Bart Simpson where it's yeah. he he's he's having it both ways where the people who are stupid are like, hey, Joe Buck, look at that classy guy there. He's, he's got his head going like this as he talks, and he's just – he's a dude. That's a dude. And then the rest of us are like, this fucking idiot's doing a thing, and it's kind of funny, I guess. Right? Like it's, so you can have it both ways if right, you're that right. sort of person. And so obviously because it's me, I allow myself to get annoyed at the fact that he's having it both ways rather than okay. just appreciate like, okay, this guy is sort of winking at me as he's doing this thing. He gets – the joke he knows that i get the joke like that should be enough right right yeah and, and it's uh not always easy to do like to, to thread the needle like that right, like, right. and he's good play. at it and that's fine like, and it, it the only reason that it really bothers me is because the only reason that he has this fucking job is because this old man had the same sort of job right <laughs> like, and, like what country do we live in this fucking but nepotistic bullshit that's how it goes. I'm that's sure, goes. Uh, you know, the plumber's kid, you know, the, the plumber gets his kid to be a plumber and then his kid becomes the plumber. And these things happen, yeah. you know, they stay in the business. And it, well, sometimes it know. works out. Like Skip Carey was Harry. Ah, Aaron Judge hit his 61st home run. Oh, well, there you go. Live hip, on live hip, on the show, hip. Aaron Judge goes yard. Number 61. It's about time that. That was uh, awkward because uh, during the Saturday college games, they would just constantly cut in it's like and it important moments too like and they just take away the audio and if you don't care anything about this al record it's not even like the no, major league record exciting. just like yeah they're but, making so something out of there's nothing. a lot of people first of all it's the yankees right so it's, it's like yeah, yeah hollow, hollowed americana true. there because just because it's the yankees <laughs> yeah. further it's the fact that everybody else who's above the 61 number is tainted by the the tainted juicing somehow Right, yeah. so Bonds is the official number, of course, and it's the real number. Anybody who says, "Oh, the real number is sixty-one," like fuck you. What are you? What are you talking about? Yeah. The number is seventy-three. Also, it was Barry Bonds. He went up to the plate and hit seventy-three goddamn home runs in a single year. <laughs> uh, one of the like a, a, a feat of offensive productivity that only he could even come close to equaling. Don't tell me that it's that it doesn't count. Whatever it happened, we all watched it happen. Not to uh, besmirch this uh, current effort by Judge, but is it out of the realm of possibility that players are still cutting a corner or two when it comes to performance enhancing? <laughs> That's what front? I was saying to someone. Was like, even if it's not, perf- you know, st- what we're calling right now performance enhancing yeah. drugs, oh, yeah. they're they're doing physical tricks that most people right. can't do. Right. And that the guys before, every generation prior, didn't have the technology we have now. Right. Even if it's like all organic, it's it's there's, never go. It's never a one for one comparison. No, that's true. Yeah. There, by the way, there, there's no uh, 
there's no drug or anything that can uh, improve your hand-eye coordination, I assume, no. right? That's not. Like, I mean, Adderall might. No. Speed would. There's an old, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show before, if we've ever talked about this, and maybe it was in the old, the, the first run of the show back in time. Well, mm. um, <laughs> there's a great piece, I think, in Sports Illustrated about Barry Bonds's elbow armor that probably or there's reason to believe that in terms of the repeatability of his swing which is what which is what a great swing comes down to i mean i take it from me a little league minors coach <laughs> but what you want to be able to do is repeat your swing and then obviously track the bat to the ball so yeah a lot of it is hand eye coordination but you want a highly repeatable swing that you can just constantly repeat if you perfect the swing and then just repeat it over and over again, right. then you're going to have success. Apparently, there was some technology built into his elbow guard that helped him a great deal. Sort of like a bowler wearing a wrist guard so that your wrist oh. doesn't flop around on you. So it kind of constrained them so that that, rain, that motion would be more Right, more easily consistent. repeated. And I'd have to do a bunch of Googling, and hopefully I can find it. I don't know if I'll be able to. Uh, maybe Brian can send it to me. I think Brian could probably track it down if he had to. If you're out there, have they since uh, have they since made any changes? Yes, to apparently they have since changed what is allowed in terms of the elbow armor to prevent that sort of thing from uh, from going on. So wow. yes, he did. He used the cream and the clear, whatever he was doing, and he cheated, and he shouldn't have done that as far as the performance enhancing drug stuff go, but. He's one of the before that he was one of the greatest offensive players to ever play the game, and there's no taking that away from him. And he should be in the goddamn Hall of Fame. Anyway, yeah. Before I interrupted you, you were going to talk about how watching Peyton and Eli Manning talk is more entertaining than this. Yeah, way more fun than doing a yeah. podcast. Uh, I mean, I love getting on here with Abe and talking to my old my old friend. You could just not do it when other things are going. Yeah. And I know, Abe, that you have a long-standing <laughs> problem with the the sack of shit Peyton Manning, as as the you're wont to call him. Who uh, uh, it pains me that he has anything to do with his great idea with changing the Pro Bowl, uh, uh. like his stupid Omaha bullshit. But yeah, I'm not a. I haven't actually Best seen news an entire of the week, thing, possibly yeah. of the like school year. <laughs> Will be the Pro Bowl. <laughs> it's the best news of the football season. And the great, the great thing is that they're not even waiting till next. They're doing it. They're like do, yeah, it's this, fucking starting yeah. now. Effective now. Yeah. I don't see how this is great news for exactly one reason, which is that I didn't care about the Pro Bowl. That's before. why it's great news. I've never cared about the Pro Bowl up until now. Something and, no one cared about is going away. And moving forward, I will not care about. Oh come on, the Pro yeah. Bowl. Okay, we're not going to watch. Whatever those skills competitions they're doing, unless are. unless it's like they just they're rebooting American Gladiators with NFL yeah. Pro we'll Bowlers, see. I will watch that. Yeah, Peyton Manning is involved. You're going to watch it, and it's going to be better than the Pro Bowl. Well, was. sure, but anything right. would be better than the Pro Bowl. That's yeah, almost why it's anything. good news. Yeah. Maybe, How do you right. not understand yeah. this? Maybe the ESPYS is worse than the Pro Bowl, but aside from that. <laughs> That is true. They, they're running right neck and neck. But yeah, I would not watch the uh, – I haven't watched the Pro Bowl in, in almost forever. Uh, I think I've watched one, and I was like, what is this? Like, And I stopped. 
But just especially the first year, just out of curiosity to see what they do. Flag football? Uh, that'll be funny. Yeah. yeah. To be clear, we're talking about the fact that the NFL has decided that they're going to end the normal Pro Bowl that for years they did in Hawaii, and it was treated basically just as a, a nice bonus and for all of after the, the Super Bowl. players who made it. And yeah, it was the week after the Super Bowl. And then they moved it uh, back to the mainland, and it's been in Miami a bunch, I think, the last few years. Uh, but they're not going to do the Pro Bowl anymore because nobody wants to play in it, and it's just a stupid game where the scores get run up like you know fifty something to sixty something because nobody plays defense, and it's fine because nobody wants to get hurt, obviously. Uh, but it doesn't; it's not at all compelling in any way whatsoever. Right. And so now Peyton Manning has come in, uh, along with I'm sure a half a dozen other consultant types. And decided they're going to turn it into a skills competition and showcase right. of some sort. And a flag football game. Yeah, and a flag football yeah. game. Hilarious. They, they, they need to add some other gimmicks. Uh, I would be interested to see what they do. The one, this is a totally petty point, but the one thing I didn't like about uh, the old Pro Bowl system, the, you know, there would be like three, you know, quarterbacks from the AFC. And then like two of them are like, in the conference title game, and right. one of them is going yeah. to the Super Bowl, and they can't participate, and then they'll need to fill in, so they'll get the fourth and fifth right. quarterback, and, this, and now the they're Pro Bowlers. The best quarterback in the league this right. year is starting for the Pro Bowl team. And then in the future, they look back at it, three-time Pro Bowler. What do you yeah. mean? You're that alternate. Like, <laughs> he was not. I guarantee you they, they stick it in there, like when the agents are negotiating yeah. for contracts. It's like, <laughs> Joe Flacco is a Pro Bowler 11 times, so you better give him more money. <laughs> Uh, no, the only way that I'll watch the Pro Bowl is if, including this one, is if like you stick all of the offensive linemen. You remember the American Gladiators game where they had the yeah. fucking tennis oh, yeah. ball cannons, right? Yes, and, and they like got, Metro and they got other to people shoot the tennis like... ball cannons at the idiots <laughs> from like fifty yards away. I'd watch like if yeah. you could shoot at Peyton Manning or or not. Pay, obviously, Peyton doesn't play anymore. That would but, be like, great. <laughs> you know, Lamar Jackson is down there on the floor getting shot at by. <laughs> NFC offensive lineman from above. That would be amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I did enjoy far more than I enjoyed watching the dude perfect assholes on prime football. I, yeah. Thursday. You, you told me that I did not know that that was a thing. The like, cast an is such a joy. It's so good. If, it's, it's what football should be. They should do every game. It would be wonderful. Peyton Manning is an absolute psychopath. I, I will grant that. Right. But nobody cares about something more than Peyton Manning very obviously and sincerely cares about and loves the game of football. Like, he just loves it He holds the so football much. the whole time like during a, the like broadcast. Like a seven-year-old boy who goes and gets his favorite <laughs> ball to football. watch while watching the game on TV, and he holds it like, oh, that someday that's going to be me out there. I could throw. I could throw and run just like that. Like, that is Peyton the entire time, a man who's just devoted his entire life to a thing and can't imagine thinking or caring about anything else. What a nightmare it must be to be a child of his who, like, doesn't care about football or to be or to be his wife. Like, oh, what a bummer. Because he just – it's so obvious how much he loves this other thing more than he loves you. Maybe the, the genesis of this, uh, hey, let me get my brother uh, and get ESPN to pay for all of this is because his immediate family – is sick of it. Right. Like, stop talking football. 
the, like, fine. And Eli, who's a very charming guy in his own right and, and a funny guy, like he loves football too, but it's not like Peyton. And what I love about Eli, and, and it makes me so happy that he was a giant his entire career, he just loves the fucking Giants. He loves that oh, he yeah. was a giant. He still roots for the Giants. Like all he, he just he thinks it's we out there, even though he hasn't been on the team for five years or whatever it's been. Yeah. Like he's it, and it's just it, it's just an appealing product. Even when they have idiots on as as their guests, and the guest thing doesn't really work in the same way that like half of always or no, not, I've not seen for the whole time. So like so shared. like for two two series in a yeah, row or they something. They kind of pop on and off. Well, no, no. What I'm saying is like. You're saying that it doesn't work. It only doesn't work sometimes. Because I've seen some snippets where no, it seems entertaining it's, enough. It's fun. With some people. And the, and the clips yeah. are funny afterwards. But, like, as it's happening, a lot of the times the – because there's a delay. It's like the when you watch Meet the Press and Chuck Todd is talking to somebody, he's like, hey, thanks for being here. And it's like, beat, beat, Yeah, that's beat. right. And then the guy starts, oh, yeah, Chuck, it's great to be here. But at that exact same moment, Chuck has decided now to start talking, right? Because there's like a delay in the satellite or the Zoom call or whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, and so that that's sort of annoying. But aside from those sorts of kinks, it's just a wonderful product. They they haven't cleaned that up because those awkward – I don't know if it's a tape delay or what, but like as soon as you're – basically they should just say like when Peyton or Eli says we're done, there's no need for you to say thanks. And then just mute the person, even if they're just looking like an idiot for three seconds. Yeah. You don't need to have that awkward. I don't know. I think it's just a function of like doing live. Doing live things is difficult ultimately. Yeah. Oh, anyway, the Giants. Let me wrap up talking about sport. And again, we're 30 minutes into this Are recording. Are we skipping we're Red Zone? Talking about, we can talk about Red Zone in a second. I, I want to talk about the Giants. Riled up about. I want to talk about the Giants, who it must be said are a terrible team. And oddly, after having watched, this is the first game that I got to watch all the way through. I've seen the highlights of the other games, like the extended highlights, I should say, not just the, the stupid 90 second package. Uh, I know of what I speak is what I'm saying. I'm an expert here. Thank you very much on the New York football giants. And uh, the problem on Monday night, I am sad to say, to report, was not Daniel Jones. Uh, no. <laughs> the problem was very much almost everyone else except Saquon. Saquon kind of got it going there at the end and had a good run, a, a solid touchdown run at the end of the game. But the coaching wasn't very good. Uh, it's not clear that this this former Bills defensive coordinator has got a full handle on like game clock management and what to do when and that sort of thing. Uh, like just, just going into the half with three timeouts for no reason whatsoever. That, they, that sort of nonsense. It's infuriating. They have so many. You know who that pissed off? Assistant coaches. Pissed off Peyton Manning. <laughs> Peyton didn't care I mean, for it. I know, but like it's baffling. You have so many just. People that just are assistant coaches that's fucking around. You can't have somebody on that, like on clock management, on timeout management. It's clear that that it can be figured out, though, right? Because the big knock against Andy Reid his entire career, like especially through the Eagles years, was that he just had no handle whatsoever on the end game. Whether it was the end of the half or the end of the game, those teams always screwed up one way or another, it seemed like. In, in ways that the coach could have controlled for. And then right. and then he gets to Kansas City, and it, he seems to have figured out the problem. So it's not, it's not an unsolvable right. thing. But. 
Right, because in all likelihood, he delegated some of the task. If you're engrossed in the whole thing and you're, you have play-calling duties and you have other somebody in your ear at all times, you're not focused on little stuff. There was a the new coach for the Broncos who was so inept at uh, the play clock that the hometown team started chanting the clock when it got within 10 seconds because they kept on <laughs> calling the play so late and they would have all these delayed games. And so the entire like 80,000 Bronco fans would be like seven, six to their right. own team, which is like very embarrassing. And they kept at it for like a couple of quarters. Yeah. Uh, so it's weird that that didn't happen. Also, didn't uh, Sterling Shepard get injured? Sterling, the, so the, yeah, he gets you- injured, but that was at the end. That was at the very end of the game. And that was that's why there was that last interception is that he fell down. And I guess he, he must have blown out a knee i haven't actually looked to see what the update on that is but it was like an acl thing but this is uh yet another casualty of this turf issue like for whatever reason the nfl's i guess they're just too cheap for a billion dollar uh enterprise but they keep cutting corners with the turf and apparently it's like 30 percent more injuries more acl tears on turf than than on grass like the the, the World Cup that's coming to America in a few years, their rule is we're not playing in any bullshit. Like, you know, we can play in the Giant Stadium or the Falcon Stadium, but we're not playing on that shit because too many people get hurt. Right. And I don't know why the NFL just doesn't adopt that. And I don't want to say that Sterling Shepard deserved it because obviously nobody <laughs> deserves to have their fucking knee blown out playing an NFL football game. But he had a, but. He had a terrible game leading up to that moment, <laughs> including like stupid 15-yard penalties, that like unsportsmanlike penalties and and dropped balls and not running his routes. Pro- like he just had a terrible game. And then for that what to happen at the end. immediate reaction as he's – Writhing in pain. That's what you get, you fucking no, asshole. No, my reaction rude. was, oh, but he's fucking fine. But he's faking it. That he's just he's just grabbing his knee because he doesn't. He he, he cut his route short or something. And that's why there was an interception. But apparently he wasn't taking it. So I felt bad about that afterwards. Anyway, the Giants stink, but they still like like I said, that was a coin flip game at the end. Basically, like the Cowboys only won by by one possession. The Giants were possibly going to tie the game at the end. They're going to get some wins, and it's going to look like it's because of Daniel Jones playing hero ball because the offensive line is terrible. And like, and so he's going to run for 100 yards a couple times this year. They're going to win like – I'm telling you, they're going to win like eight or ten games or something stupid like that. Neighbor Brian said the funny thing when he, we walked by, and he said, well, that's how good we are Yeah, on Monday morning. <laughs> that, that's just who Tuesday we are. Tuesday morning. <laughs> Anyway, it was a fun weekend of sports. We got the free preview of the uh, NFL Red Zone. That's right. Lori's favorite it's channel. that time of year again. NFL Red Zone is the worst, and it is take <laughs> it takes away everything good about football. It's uh, I, I would say it, it if sometimes there's, there'll be a weekend because uh, I I don't know whose uh, Red Zone I was stealing for a while. Uh, I'm sure on the up and up, uh, but. There are certain weekends where like there's no good game on, and like it's good for that. Like just like move around these bad games and it's make not, it look though. semi-good. It's not because one of the things you miss are interceptions. You miss every interception because they circle that's, back to it, but you miss them. They, live. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. You yeah. can watch sports clips while you watch a football game on your phone. You don't need right. to. That's the best thing about football is how much you can do while you watch football. And That's one of true, the yeah. things you can do is watch a whole separate football game on your phone or computer screen. But yeah. if you 
have only the most exciting plays, you don't have the interceptions, and right. you also it's, don't it's hard, get to see. It's hard to look away from red zone is the problem, right? Like because the focus is you just got to fucking look at the screen for seven hours and they get right. the guy and he's like, Oh, we're going to go to double box now. Right. It's the witching hour. We're going full we triple box. Octobox. box. Yeah. Right. We got you this. You also and, don't yeah. get to see teams backed up in their own end zone, which is so satisfying. Right. But you miss that. It's the there worst. Is, it's the fucking there is a, worst. There is a trade off because you're, I mean, yes, all good points, but the upside no commercials. Like, like you, no you commercials bypass all the commercials. Like occasionally, it's really fun. Like <laughs> at the end of all of the one o'clock games when they were all yeah. within a score of each other, that was very exciting. Right. That was 15, 20 minutes of very exciting. And our, then our local game was we had the Jets and whoever the hell the Jets were playing this week, and we Bengals. had it, the Bengals, the Bengals, and it was a like a terrible game to watch oh, yeah. that was one of our games it was just on and i flipped over to red zone instead it was like oh wow this is a million times better <laughs> and then watching the jets try to improve on the 12 points that they have right now and failing and i agree largely that it it is not the experience it like it would be hard for me to fall in love with football in the way that i fell in love with football if this was my only exposure to football but right. the red zone is like an ideal second screen and muted experience. If you're watching a yeah. game on a on a in your living room with a large television, maybe you wheel the second TV in there on Sundays, and you could you just throw that on and just sort of keep it handy in case you want to keep track of things. But but yeah, there's right. no good reason to just watch it so exclusively. Awful. The energy is just all wrong. Like you're, it, a football game, as exciting as it can be at the end of a football game, you don't want to be standing there and yeah, shouting at the television the whole time. It's and frenetic energy that is also disconnected from itself because right. it's not like an exciting drive that you're watching. You're watching four differently timed drives. Oh, it's so terrible. Right. I, I wonder if they if they uh, ask you know do they do those goofy polls we get you know pull the thousand NFL fans and. What's their primary reason why they watch the NFL Red Zone over whatever their local game of the week is? I suspect most of them are fantasy football types, right? Yeah, gamblers. Could, yeah. Right? It's just gambling yeah. people. The, especially yeah. the, like the daily fantasy people who have yeah. money on the immediate outcome of every single immediate play. Right. Anyway. All right. So I suppose the natural question is uh, what exactly is it that got me all fucking riled up after my peaceful weekend with my sister that got us here on a Wednesday night recording? The truth of the matter is that it was a very annoying interview on All Things Considered on, I think, Tuesday, must have been. Must have been. And... Oh man, did it, did it piss me off? It's, and I'm not going to play it, and we're not going to talk about it. That's this segment that we're in now. They're not going to talk about it segment. But it was an interview with a queer, black, non-binary author, creator type, and that's like the only type of interview that get artist interviews on NPR, All Things Considered, Morning Edition type shows right now. And there's just. There's something that is so cloying about it because the, the, the person doing the interview is, it has nothing to do with the work, ultimately, of the person doing right. it. It is all about the identity and the experience of 
what's usually a memoirist, first of all. Uh, <laughs> they haven't actually fucking done anything besides announce their goddamn story to the world. Like, that's, what is your achievement, memoirist? Well, I wrote this memoir, you see. And, it's, uh, and I'm... I don't know. <laughs> I am this series of... Uh, identity markers that grants me the authority of my position here, and that's it. That's the that's the whole of my accomplishment. In 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 the past, before you uh, uh, started harping on this, I would uh, accept anyone's. Oh, I got a memoir out. I would like. Oh, all right, what's it? You know, blah blah blah. But like now, every time I hear it, it's just like, oh, like what the fuck have you done? You know, like you're, <laughs> I, I was just thought, oh, I guess anyone can do that. I didn't think it was like a. You have to be some sort of. You gotta. That's go literally some sort of thing. the whole thing about art. It's right. that someone did it. You yeah. could do it, but you didn't. So this is art, right. and, and you're you're there, and that's fine. But what bothers me about the fact that it, it all gets couched in terms of the various victim classes, essentially, that this person can attach themselves to, is that the host then doesn't have anything to say except, yes, I too have felt bad things, right? So like Elisa Chang or whoever, who also conveniently fits into any number of uh, correct victim classes or, or identity classes, can say, well, I felt this reading your thing because of who I am as a person. And like the whole right. thing just becomes a stupid fucking soap opera like like an Oprah interview that has nothing right. to do with the content or the, the 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 piece of art that is allegedly at the center of this of the reason that they're here and it's just about two people like having a, a psychology sesh with each other about the various ways in which they've been injured almost always right. at the hands of straight white men. So like and it's not that like like, I know it sounds like because I'm that, that that's what I'm complaining about and that, oh, he just wants to hear more from straight white men. But it's like, give me some fucking substance. Like, give me something right. actually there. But anyway, that's not why um, right. uh, we're, we're going to talk about, obviously. Before we get to that, uh, do, you, do you think that uh, some of, if, if some of the NPR producers and the people behind the scenes, you know, they're, they're going home or they're on the weekend and they're off the clock and they're listening to NPR, do you ever think they think that, NPR in a bit of a rut because it seems like they're kind of stuck in this same pattern to same like you know on my podcast feeds it's like oh I guess we're doing this again and every like like on any given week on uh, fresh air like three out of the five it's always like the same kind of no topic. because they think like, that they're doing the work they think that this is good and important work and they're very wrong about that and I don't, like, I don't but even if you thought that was true uh it's the same note, though. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, you don't think, like, you don't want to have some sort of diversity of uh, uh, topics? Like, it's the same thing. Abe, it is diversity of topics if you have a black, queer, trans person on Monday, and then it's a brown, queer, trans person on Wednesday, and then it's an Asian, bisexual person on Friday— and if all you're talking about is the various ways in which this person doesn't fit into the normal boxes that society wants everybody to fall into, it's like, wait a second. If what? we're talking about checking boxes here, uh, NPR, <laughs> I think it's you who's way more interested in what boxes can be checked than it is me or than it is right. any previous time in, in the cultural history. Uh, but I suppose that's neither here nor there. What's funny is that it is close to what bothers me about the latest effort from one of my favorite musicians. I did not intend to talk about this tonight, but oh. uh, Billy Corgan, famously a weirdo, right? People, if they have an opinion on Billy Corgan, it's generally 
that's that crazy bald headed rock star guy uh, who's really like into himself and thinks very highly of himself and, uh, and that he's a bit of a, a rock star prima donna type. All of which are sort of fair interpretations of Billy's public presentation over the last 30 odd years, however long it's been. And I love Billy Corgan. I think that the musical output of the Smashing Pumpkins from 1991 to 2000 is basically unassailable. And uh, I say that acknowledging that I am a a fan, first and foremost, and not a musical critic or theorist or trained classically in any way. Doesn't know anything about music is how I would classify To be able to objectively, if such a thing were even possible, to be able to objectively, properly categorize what the Smashing Pumpkins did. I think that the five studio albums plus the other sort of B-sides albums that they put out in that decade are basically unassailable uh, from any angle. They're just they're just wonderful records. And maybe various people have different sorts of tastes for various things, but those are, first and foremost, just five awesome rock and roll records. And I have lots of apologetics for the various things that have come after until the last couple of years. Like, it must be said, Billy Corgan has basically lost me in the last couple of years when it comes what, to the uh, new music. N- Music-wise? or uh, Yes, just-, just musically. Like, he's always been a weirdo, uh, uh, and I've always sort of appreciated his weirdness from afar. What he's doing, so specifically right now, is we don't have to get into my hole, because literally there's probably a hundred hours worth of podcast that I could do on the Smashing Pumpkins. And maybe someday I will, but we don't have to get into that tonight. Tonight, I just want to talk about his latest project. Is this sort of newsworthy peg? It's a podcast that Billy Corgan has created called, it's like 33 or something like that. It's a reference to... Jesus or something? It's a reference to a song by the Smashing Pumpkins from Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. But 33 with William Patrick Corgan is the name of the podcast if you're searching for it on uh, wherever it is. You weirdos find your podcasts. The Smashing Pumpkins apparently are going to put out over the course of the next six or eight months or something like that a triple album, uh, one disc at a time. The first disc comes out in just a few weeks. It will have 11 songs on it. And then in a couple months, the second disc with 11 more songs on it. And then a few months after that, the third disc, the full album will be complete. 33 songs total, three discs. Ah, there we go. And further, it is apparently the third concept album in Billy's in his head, his trilogy of concept albums that apparently started with 1995's Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. The second part came in 2000 with uh, Machina, The Machines of God, which is my personal favorite Smashing Pumpkins record, probably. And then this this third one is coming out. It's called Autumn or Atum. He says it different ways every time he says it because he's an annoying person. And it's, Is it spelled like Autumn? It's spelled A-T-U-M. Oh, so that's the name of the record. When what he's doing with this podcast is that he's decided that it's a good idea to explain exactly what each song means in <laughs> in the context of the concept album that he's making, right? And and I cannot explain to you how much I hate that idea. Like, isn't that also didn't that run counter to yeah, music? Yeah, it's opposite. Usually, it's opposite. You, 
It's the opposite. It's, it's literally then, the opposite of what yeah. you should do, probably. Right. Like, if you have to have an hour-long episode of a podcast explaining exactly what you meant by the song that you just wrote, then, right. like, you're, I think you're sort of missing the point. No, that's how you know the joke is good. It's if you need to explain, isn't that? Yeah, that's my formulation. Same kind of thing. That's how you figure out if the joke's good, is that you explain right. why it's funny for, like, 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. Now, to be fair to Billy, uh, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness... While he might think of it as a concept album, it is at best a very loose concept, whatever the concept might be. Machina, it has that cover art. Right, and that's the thing. The thing that ties it all together is sort of like the art around it. Like it's not, the, it's not like you can follow a story from A to B to C through the 28 tracks of that record and figure out what the hell he was talking about. It's largely just a collection of rock songs that are fucking awesome. And then the thing that ties them together is like the name of the discs are like Twilight to Starlight. And, and, and so it's like a, it's a day to night, night to day, sort of dusk, dusk to dawn All right. sort of thing. That's probably enough. That's probably enough. Machina is a much, in theory, it's a, it's a tighter narrative, but still, like, it's not really there. And you need to go, like, deep into the lore and, like, read about it online to find out about it. So given that, like, he hasn't done a great job of explaining the nature of the concept before, I understand the instinct where he's like, this time you're going to fucking know the story because you I'm going to You understand the instinct out. of overthinking things and making it more complicated than it has to be? Yeah, sure. Oh. What I think is really going on here is that the music fucking sucks now, and Billy knows it. Like, somewhere oh. somewhere deep inside, Billy knows he's not making shit that was nearly as important or meaningful or good as he was managing to pull off in the, in the 1990s. And a way to cloud all of that is to dress it up in all of this nonsense about a, okay. a, a concept record. And, th- and this is coming from me, a person who is as apologetic for Billy Corgan, the human being, without ever having met him, as I think a stranger can be, basically. We didn't name our son William because Bob couldn't possibly name a son William without naming them after Billy Corgan. Right, I like, like the, that I, is the I like name. the name William, but we couldn't do that because it would, then... I was like, but we wouldn't be naming them after Billy Corgan. Like, but no yeah, one would. would believe yeah, me. Yeah, we would. That <laughs> is true, yeah. Oh, I'd be uh, poo-pooing you right now. Oh, boy. Right. It's named after this guy. So the the third episode came out this week, and therefore it was. So it's not just that he's explaining the music; he's also interviewing people, like he's bringing people on in his life who sort of defend him against the charge of him being a fucking weirdo. Like, why don't okay. you tell everybody how I'm less of a weirdo than everybody seems to think I am? Like, no, Billy, don't do it. Not like this, man. This is not. You're not going to convince anybody of anything. So uh, he's aware. Does this have to do with anything you were going to talk about? I'm getting to the to tie it all together here. Uh, he's further, in addition to explaining songs that shouldn't have or need explanations, you should just listen to the music and like right. this speaks to me. I will continue to listen to it. And by the way, Billy, I'm sorry, but you don't get to decide what your song is about after you've right. put it out in the world. It becomes right. part of. A, us right like the yeah. people who listen to it get to decide that and it's not up to you anymore and and like to the extent that i care what billy thinks about it i will read the liner notes of the record or i will i will i will go seek out interviews that he does yeah so you're not listening to the podcast i am listening to the podcast because it's a fucking freak show it's it's 100 <laughs> a weird like 
uh, how could a person possibly think that this is a good idea? Like, because the the he's got two hosts of the show in addition to himself that he, he's sort of a host of the show as well. And they're these like FM talker guys. You know, that guy. Uh, and he's got two of those guys uh, who work for him. So it's not like these are people who are going to be critical of him in any right. possible way. Right. He cuts their checks. They work for him at the, at the wrestling, the whatever wrestling thing that oh, he runs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there are those goobers who can't possibly like contradict or say anything bad about Billy. Uh, the other half, the reason that it's even worth listening to beyond the freak show aspect of it is that they do talk about other great Smashing Pumpkins songs as well, where like they had Jimmy Chamberlain, who's the drummer for the Pumpkins on this week, and they talked about the making of The Everlasting Gaze, which is a killer rock and roll song from 2000 on the Machina album. And they, they talked about that, and that was entertaining enough. But at the same time, <laughs> they ask they ask Jimmy at one point in this interview so called which it's not but whatever they 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 set it up as an interview are there any lyrics in in Billy's history that you read or heard and you're like oh come on Billy what what are we doing here and it's like they've already established in this very episode that Billy Corgan is the sort of person who when questioned about his lyrics early on in the life of the Smashing Pumpkins like yeah. angrily lashed out at whoever it was oh. in the band who who said something to him. And that's something that goes back to the very early days of the band when there was an incident, and uh, it wasn't Jimmy. It was another band member. Somebody in the band questioned something I was singing. I can't remember. It was probably some stupid lyric, but I didn't like that I was being questioned. And I threw my hands up, and I said, it, it was at Ron Overcash's uh, studio where Jimmy first tried out for the band. I threw up my hands, and I said, never, ever, ever do any of you question what I'm singing about. I'm the lyricist. It doesn't matter. And everyone went, okay. And that was it. That was the policy in the band. Whatever I sang about, whatever I was after, they just left me alone. Whatever so. you do, do not question me on the lyrics. You, we, can, we can discuss the music, but do not question me on my lyric. And, like, that, it, was, the, that was the setup for them then asking Jimmy, hey, did you ever, like, hear one of his lyrics and go, like, oh, that's fucking lame, man. Like, uh, no, I no, certainly I not. Matter. Of course not. Uh, why would I so do he's, that? He's that sensitive about any oh, extremely feedback. sensitive. Yes. Wow. But at the same time, he would deny that he is sensitive and say, "You just don't get the joke." Like that's the the, the big Billy thing is the world just doesn't get the joke. And Billy never explains, despite having a podcast where he wants to explain <laughs> precisely what each song means in terms of like alien spaceships that hide on the dark side of the moon. Uh, and maybe that's real or maybe it's not. Maybe it's conspiracy or maybe they just don't want you to know. But he'll never explain the joke, right? He'll always say, you don't get the joke, but he'll never tell you what the joke is. Is it always a joke? Sometimes it's just a thing. Like he's just I don't know. That's pretty weird. I, I do wonder, though, if he's lost the likes of you uh, with his latest effort. Uh, is this just for him? Like, he can't possibly of think this is a... Just oh, it's 100% him. just for him. So this is where he lost me. And I sure, we'll go here now. Uh, where Billy Corgan lost me was on the, the tour that I went to right, go this see. This means that you don't get to talk about something else. I know, I know. We'll, okay. we'll, get, we'll get to the rest of our <laughs> No, no, no. I'm saying here. you won't get to it if this is what you're choosing to talk about. I, 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 five, give me five minutes. I'm Billy here. This is my boy. 
All right, I'm going to raise my hand when five minutes has gone by. I went to go see the Smashing Pumpkins on their last tour, or I mean, they've been touring incessantly uh, for the last few years. But a few years ago, I drove up to Connecticut, uh, spent the week at my mom's in New Jersey, and then and did an overnight in Connecticut. Uh, with the Thousand Man Jerry and show composer Mark Gillig, and we saw the Pumpkins at some, like a casino in Connecticut or something. I don't know. It's a fun show. Great show. Billy wrote a song for the album Adore, and it came out in 1998. It was called For Martha. Uh, his mother was Martha. She died. This was the song that he wrote in appreciation of his mother, right? The, the great love of his life, his mother... Uh, complicated relationship I suppose they had but loved her uh, nevertheless and what I always took and, and it's a wonderful song like uh, one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkins songs must be said this big beautiful ballad of a song it's got one of my favorite Billy Corgan guitar solos of all time is at the end of this song wonderful and he took that song and in the in the context of this concert managed to stage the playing of that song in terms of the 12 year old boy that he once was and made the made the this whole beautiful song that's about the life and death of his mother about his own 12 year old self and it it like and it's weird for that to have been the thing that was finally like, Billy, like, what are you doing here, man? <laughs> but, like, I think that 1997, 98 Billy, who wrote that song, wrote it from an authentic point of view right. of, like, really being torn up about the fact that his mother was no longer here and doing this in her honor and, the, and, and like, and honoring her as the as the individual human being that she was and not strictly about the impact that she had on him, right? This was not an ego-centered thing when he wrote it in 1997-98. And in previous performances of the song, like from that era, you don't see that. But when you saw it performed in 2019, roughly, I don't remember exactly when this was. It about, was. Yeah, 2019, he's managed to make it about the 12-year-old kid. It, and the 12-year-old kid is just him. And like right. that to me was just like, it was. It felt icky. It felt wrong. Yeah. Like he's 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 retconning. Like and it's it's very ex and it's extremely Billy Corgan to be like uh, the what this song is really about is about the damaged little twelve year old boy that I once was rather than about my mother. And that just it like that's where he started. Where where I it, okay. That's where the the sheet sort of got pulled back from the wizard for me. Uh, probably that, more that than was any one the first thing. That was the first instance of that, like where he would well, do no. some weird. Like there's a million instances of that. That was just the most like sort of rewriting of history oh, that I, that I did not care for. And yeah, you know, it doesn't help that like he hasn't put out a good record in in some time now, uh, <laughs> and and the last few Pumpkins records have not been any good. Anyway, I only bring up Billy Corgan and his very terrible podcast, which I will put a link to in the show notes if you're a weirdo <laughs> who wants to go listen to that. Because to me, it is very similar to the sort of like 
uh, hagiographic instinct of all of these identity type people who are like everything. None of this is about the actual work itself. And it's all just about the identity markers of the individual ego at the center of it. And like it, it bums me out. And it, and it, that is very much Billy. And it's very much like half of the interviews on NPR these days. Oh, I see. Yeah, there's. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thank you for consenting to my amazing. Uh, alleged connection oh, there. I see. Yeah. All the pieces fit. All right. All right. So. Anyway, good night. That wasn't the shit that, that has us here on a Wednesday night. Uh, that wasn't what actually got me going. Instead, what got me going, as usual, is something that I saw on Twitter. Oh, good no. old Twitter. I tried to avoid podcasting tonight by uh, attempting to blog about this yesterday. But then I got like a third of the way into the blog. I was like, oh, I'm just going to text Abe. Like, I'll just <laughs> I'll, I'll just take all of this shit that I was going to possibly try to get to in a blog and just furiously pound it out in like 20 consecutive text messages that he won't be able to respond to in time. Uh, and then we'll talk about it on the show. And that's that's what we're going to do now. Uh, Abe, Ross Douthit or Douthit or something oh, along your those boy. lines. Yeah. He's a... Uh, conservative columnist for the New York Times opinion page, a perfectly fine writer, uh, a person who I agree with and disagree with in equal measure, probably, uh, just like any other halfway decent columnist. He wrote a tweet, the path forward for parties of the center-left in Europe begins with an acknowledgement that the challenges of collapsed birth rates plus migrant integration are the central challenges of 21st century Europe, not far-right distractions that will vanish in some restored normalcy. He goes on, Even now that the populist tide has reached Sweden, there is still a tick in analysis where, quote, talking about birth rates and migration, end quote, is by definition what the far-right does, and the implicit definition of mainstream politics is a politics that doesn't talk about those issues. All right, so can you... I've just read the tweet. Can you summarize what Douthit was getting at there in a also, way that is comprehensible? It's not clear. Now, uh, he mentions uh, Sweden. I, when I read the first uh, part of the tweet, because Twitter's stupid and you have to read multiple tweets to yep. get to one message, I thought it was basically on the heels of the uh, results in Italy because there was some Mussolini type, which, by the way, Mussolini, what a week. Uh, Mussolini type wins... Something in Italy, Brothers of Italy, or some nonsense. And so I thought he was referring to that, and I guess he still is. Um, and his larger point, I mean, the way that I took it was that you need to elite, you need to engage in these issues. You can't pretend away this problem and that at some point in the near future, the right side will win. Like, but you're what losing issues ground. is he talking about? He's talking about declining birth rates. Right. Declining birth rates, yeah. I mean, that I don't see and immigration. too often. But when they interview the, you know, these men on the street things, whenever a country in Europe um, and in America, there's a rightward shift, one of the things that keeps coming up is some sort of uh, uncontrolled immigration issue. Like there's too many people coming yeah. in. For good reason, right? Which is that... <laughs> Which is whether you want to say that it is a problem or not a problem, one should at least acknowledge that there is uh, huge migration happening in part because of just because of the Syrian war, for example, right? Just right. Many, some sort many, of displacement or some sort of disruption somewhere else. 
like whatever crime is happening in Central America for America and then, yeah, like Syria and other issues uh, in for Europe. Uh, this happens and then w- one side will like, okay, well, we'll take who we can take and leave it at that. You know, they're not going to do too much beyond that. And then on the other side, you have like the worst element of politicians talk up this low birth rate thing and then it gets icky and racist with the replacement stuff and then yeah, but like the i i don't know if this is what he's getting at that was a very weird tweet but like if we have declining birth rates don't we want more immigration i know i've only taken one economics class but it specifically said that right what he's saying is that there must be a way to have a conversation that acknowledges that in a lot of so-called Western countries, birth rates are declining, right? Yeah. Uh, of, of local population, birth rates are declining at the same time that there's an increase in migration for any number of various factors and that integrating those new people into 21st century Europe, into, into the West in the 21st century – is something that needs to be discussed, if only because if we don't discuss it at a rational level, then it will be discussed at a highly irrational level, right? Right. And that there will be far-right natalist nationalist parties will find themselves with much larger audiences and with many more ears listening to them strictly because they seem to be the only ones willing to talk about what is plainly obvious to the average asshole on the street. Well, you said it better than he did. I thought he did a perfectly fine job. Was very and again, confusing. Twitter's not a very good... Twitter kind of can get things messed up. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a good point uh, uh, by you, Bob. It seems like there is a disengagement on one side. And when you do that, um, instead of coming up with good solutions, like reasonable solutions uh unreasonable people will come up with unreasonable things and i think for a while people thought well there's only so many crazy people like some of these parties in these different countries like in france and other places in sweden like the crazy right people were like safely like at a very small percentage you know they went like 10 percent of the vote and maybe 20 at the best case scenario, but they never go beyond a certain number. And it was always like, yeah, they're crazy, but they're never going to actually hold power. And now otherwise reasonable people seem to be overlooking the worst parts of that element to vote for them because they're so, I guess, freaked out by immigration. And so it's like, you need to like engage in this issue and come up with something. And then somebody will say, okay, that makes sense. And that addresses the issue. And I'm going to vote for you. So like pretending the problem way is not going to go anywhere. All he's saying is that if the response to, hey, what about the fact that we're becoming far more populated with people who weren't born here? (laughs) If, if If just putting your finger in the air and saying, what about that? results in you being shouted down as a racist and kicked out of polite society then there, then that you will only exacerbate the problem of terrible people if only terrible people are having the conversation then uh then the conversation is going to be terrible right that's right, sort of right. what he's saying and also at the very least uh the lesson should be learned you came shame people into compliance like if you shame somebody enough they'll just say fuck it i'll just do this stupid thing so it's like it's not like you're like oh you are a bad person you better get in line 
Some people are like, fuck that. I don't want to feel bad about feeling what I feel. And I'll vote for these yahoos. And here right. we are. And by the way, uh, if we just go back to 2018. This is uh, in The Guardian. Hillary Clinton made this exact point, And she made it far more explicitly than Ross Douthat makes it. She says... In an interview with The Guardian, the former Democratic presidential candidate praised the generosity shown by the German chancellor, Angela Merkel, but suggested immigration was inflaming voters and contributed to the election of Donald Trump and Britain's vote to leave the EU. Quote, I think Europe needs to get a handle on migration because that is what lit the flame, Clinton said, speaking as part of a series of interviews with senior centrist political figures about the rise of populists, particularly on the right in Europe and the Americas. I admire the very generous and compassionate approaches that were taken, particularly by leaders like Merkel. But I think it is fair to say Europe has done its part and must send a very clear message. We are not going to be able to continue to provide refuge and support because if we don't deal with the migration issue, it will continue to roil the body politic. It's a very, that's end quote, it's a very realistic take on, uh, a, a real politic take on regardless of what you think about the immigration issue, there will be many, many millions of people in any given country who think differently than you do, right? right. And, and that if you don't figure out a way to not just have an, a ceaseless flow of migrants into your country, then those people are going to get angry and they're going to elect awful people and make poor decisions in terms of uh, the, the global economic picture, like deciding for Britain to leave uh, the EU and, and elect Trump and, and elect uh, Mussolini types in Italy and all of the rest. In other words, uh, what Hillary Clinton said in 2018 is sort of a lot of what we've seen for the last four years, right? And so Douthat is just giving word to it uh, once again. Douthat's quote alone, though, is of course not why we're here. Uh, right. the, the reaction. The, the the reason that we're oh. talking about this is the reaction, and not and and and. It is easy, right, uh, the old just poke Twitter with a stick and see what awful shit floats to the surface to do on any given topic. Uh, the, the most reactionary and terrible things are easy to find, and usually they're easy to find because it's an anonymous platform and anybody can say whatever the fuck they want to say. And, and, and therefore, we're going to surface the worst things most of the time. But I made a point of, of finding only prominent and publicly identified people who took issue with this and the, the way that they took issue with it is what drove me up a wall. Ben Collins is a sort of NBC news.com's QAnon guy for lack of a better, like he, he, he spends all of his day on 4chan and in the Q forums trying to figure out what the worst people on the internet are saying and is therefore now an expert on disinformation <laughs> and, and that sort of thing. He tweeted the following. So you're saying we need more of some people and fewer of other people? Would you like to be more explicit about the exact people you want more of and fewer of? I think it's pretty clear what he's... Sounds like he wants more migrants and fewer people that what? are native-born. That, that, no, that what, what Ben Collins is suggesting is that what Ross Douthat is actually doing here is saying, I want more white babies and fewer, like and fewer brown babies, right? That's, that is what Collins' implication is. And this is, a, this is a professional journalist just outright calling a uh, columnist for the New York Times uh, a fucking Nazi, effectively, right. on Twitter. Uh, Cody Johnston, who's an old cracked.com guy who now runs a... 
YouTube channel called Some More News, which is a perfectly sort of entertaining thing that wouldn't be possible without the likes of uh, like Colbert and John Oliver, that sort of that sort of thing. It's just one guy sitting in front of a camera while funny clips play over his shoulder and yelling about the news. I wouldn't know anything about that. He says, could you expound a bit on your concerns regarding birth rates and immigration? And everyone knows what he's actually saying there. The response to that is, Ross doubt that translation, too many coloreds, not enough whites. Kyle Griffin, some other blue check, honestly don't know who that guy is. So what you're saying is you're racist. Uh, somebody else you see everything is bad because black and brown immigrants, and that's in quotes and attributed to Douthit NYT. People will do anything to avoid the climate crisis and extreme inequality as the central challenges of our times. In other words, this person is saying what's really going on here is uh, nobody wants to talk about climate change. Tom Watson says, New York Times employs a Mussolini columnist. That's how far things have fallen, folks. This is straight out of the 1930s. There are a number more. I will post examples on the show note, the website, brainiron.com. All these people who are complaining or, or accusing Ross Douthat of being a horrible racist, like, to be clear, he got ahead of you in the tweet itself, which is, is part of what drives me nuts. Like, he said fairly explicitly, he couched his advice whatever you think of it, in terms of acknowledging that this subject is only broached by the sort of racist assholes that they're accusing him of being, right? right. Like, like that he's acknowledging that I am touching this, this thing with a 10-foot pole because it is a live wire, and I recognize that. But no, secretly, he must just be saying the quiet part right. out loud in right. the parlance right. of our times, and that he's, that he's actually, he's the actual racist here. Right. Now, this is uh, almost now a recurring bit here, but uh, to give some advice to the Rouse Douthats of the world, you know how, like, my experience of sending emails, and I think I've said this before, if you want some specific issue addressed, don't mention any other issue in the email. Because if you mention many different things, the people who don't want to answer the issue that you have, which may be a challenging point, They'll just gravitate to something that's easy and just say, oh, yeah, yeah, that second thing is fine. And they won't mention at all the crux of your point. And so, like, he had a larger point that was lost because somebody saw birth rates and that's it. This guy's a racist. This is an easy area to talk, and that's all we're going to focus on. Instead of the larger point, like, I mean – what would be like an acceptable number like of like shouldn't there be some sort of system to say we want this number of people like would five million be okay with one thousand be okay i mean there, there's there's a number there right, and you can kind of get a reasonable consensus to say let's strive for this number, have an avenue to where people go through the the legal process you'll have some people coming in obviously anyways, but like if you have some sort of orderly process, I think people would not be reacting in this anxious way. Uh, but again, you can't just think that there's no problem and just, and just harass anyone who broaches the topic in any way. Like, I mean, th this was not a constructive e email conversation because what was the result? Had, did anyone, did you see anyone of a blue check mark or someone with pr some prominence actually engage in like uh, i see what you're saying but they're wrong because of this or is it all like oh you're some racist or you're 
playing footsie with the race. I don't know. If races. it happened, it didn't happen on the pages of Twitter.com, certainly, right? right? I mean, it, because that's just not the place for it. And I recognize that, like, part of this is this is his job is to go out there and not necessarily to constantly cause a stir, but, like, to be a prominent person online that, that causes some amount of controversy so that people will be driven to, to go read his columns in the New York Times, right? So if it's not an explicit part of his job description at the Times, it is almost certainly implicitly there. And you think this was anticipated by him? Do you think like, oh, this is going to blow up? I don't know. I don't know if this is even like it's the sort of thing that's so not out of the ordinary for the platform that you have to sort of anticipate that it just sort of comes with the territory. Not that you're even trying to do it. And I'm sure that he was surprised at the the level of vitriol. It's just nuts to me that it is perfectly acceptable for what amounts to half of the political spectrum of the politically aware people, uh, participatory people in public life to just say, oh, yeah, that guy's a fucking racist. And, and like, right. the, worst, the worst imaginable sort of racist who only cares about babies that are the right color, right? It's right. an unspeakable right. charge. Like, it's, it's a terrible thing to say about a fellow human being who said nothing along those lines and, in fact, couched his entire thing in terms of acknowledging that people with bad opinions talk about this sometimes, right? right. But that it, it doesn't make it any less important to talk about. It's just completely unacceptable to me to be a public person who is so perfectly willing to take another public person and and unperson them in terms of uh, having completely unacceptable beliefs about about other human about about what six billion people on the planet or whatever right. the number is who right. aren't white like Ross Douthit is right and also. Even just on a practical level, how is this strategy? I'm, mean, I'm sure I've said this before. How is this strategy working? This ostracizing anyone? It works anyone. very well. No, he but got, what I'm saying is, Ben how? Collins like, got five thousand likes, no, and, no. and and he got a bunch of pats on the back from the people on the on his team for behaving as the correct sort of teammate for his side. So of course right. it worked very well within that very limited. Uh, framework it works right and maybe that's the whole objective here there isn't any sort of concern about real world implications by with ostracizing anyone that veers off course in any way when sweden sweden is wobbly france is getting wobbly italy is already there um, right i mean like this strategy is a total failure like it doesn't work. Like you can't take this approach. You can't just say bad, bad, bad. Everybody's bad. I'm good. Like, what is that? Like everybody's bad. Like come on. Like just come up with something, push it, and then have people gravitate towards that. It's not that difficult. What if instead of there being an actual productive conversation to be had here, that it is entirely a performance of uh, team identity, and that. The cognitive dissonance is the point, is uh, to, to make a play on Adam Serber's the cruelty is the point uh, line. What if the cognitive dissonance is the point? And that goes for, for this subject. It also goes for some of the gender trans sort of issues. But there's some sort of, and I, as I said to you before, I had some trouble articulating it, but it goes something like this, the, the, the incoherence or dissonance at the heart of the response to doubt that here, which is we good liberals believe that people are just people, that it doesn't matter who shows up in which country, that it's racist and absurd to worry about things such as assimilation or birth rates. 
uh, or culture in some way being diminished by demographic change, that simply talking about demographic change is racist. But at the same time, another of our professed uh, the, the liberals, another of the professed and enforced beliefs of the liberals is that it is wrong to appropriate or otherwise diminish non-white or non-dominant cultures when they exist in places besides the West, uh, that doing that is colonialism and supremacy in right. in ways that are like harmful to real human beings, apparently, right? All right. That functionally, they, the brown and black people, the, the second-class citizens of the world, they have a culture or, or a real culture, and we, the West, the whites, don't. That our right. culture is just white supremacy, right? right. That, that whatever else it is, it's just white supremacy. And so only right. the browns and the, the poors have a culture. The rich supremacist whites do not have a culture, right. or certainly not one that could be meaningfully impacted by mass influxes of people who don't belong to that culture. And therefore, any change to white culture... And by the way, to be clear, this is not me talking. I'm, no, right, yeah. I'm, I'm now doubting. <laughs> I'm, I'm doubting right now. If this were I'm, Twitter, I'm, you'd be misconstrued. But Right, I would be podcast. wildly misconstrued. Fortunately, nobody uh, in podcasts ever misconstrues anybody. <laughs> But, like, white culture doesn't have anything, and it can only be improved by the influx of other people from other cultures. And the reverse is – and it's always the opposite in reverse, right? That white culture, when exported to poor areas, only has negative impacts on – on those cultures when they come into contact with them. And to complain about white culture somehow being disrupted is a non sequitur. It's a complete absurdity. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense because we can only be improved by being harmed, right? <laughs> that, 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 the, that the diminishment of so-called white supremacy culture is only an improvement, and, and, and that's why it's okay. It's sort of like they think that the power of culture itself, and, or the white supremacy culture anyway, is so overwhelming that France will always be France until it's simply not France anymore. But then that would be good because change is natural and fine and brown people only make that culture better and richer. And that's fine. But they never acknowledge the reverse, that Jamaican culture might be in, enriched by the influx of two million Frenchmen or something along those lines. Right, and there's something right. about it that is extremely parochial and American in a way, or at least because I'm an American. I think of it as a parochial American instinct that I'm sure that the instinct is there among the liberal types in France and Spain and wherever else liberal types exist. But there, it feels to me like a parochial sort of Americanism or, or a, a, a youthful millennial internet age Americanism, uh, a sort of myopic understanding of the world, that the, the world is flat, people are all the same everywhere, and that functionally doesn't matter, uh, that, that trying to marry, they're trying to marry a supremacist frame of understanding our place in the world, this understanding of culture as this sort of hegemonic thing, a, a power that cannot actually be changed or defeated in any way, and that the influx of millions upon millions of people who don't adhere to or otherwise assimilate into that culture won't actually have any impact on it because of how dominant it is, uh, but also if it does change, it's good. Like it, That contradiction there doesn't work. I don't know. I, again like doubt it feel weird even talking about it 
because it's so contaminated by people who seem to care the most about it. But there's something there, right? Like there is an American culture of consequence. There is a there is something about being French that matters at least to French people that we should want to conserve. Like in a, in in that fundamental sort of conservative way, like French culture is good because it is this isolated, relatively speaking, group of people that yeah, you take people in, right? There's there's many many millions of Muslims who've immigrated to France over the last. Uh, couple of generations. And in some ways, I'm sure it has improved things. Uh, And in other ways, who knows what has happened, right? But like, the thing that makes America, like, again, I start getting into big, stupid, romantic ideals about what makes America great. But it is our ability to take in people from all over the world and, and make fucking Americans out of them, right? right? That is the American character. And it's weird to me that you can't talk about the fact that if we have these collapsing local birth rates combined with the influx of tens of millions of people who have no interest in assimilating and and by the way in the internet age it becomes less important that you assimilate at all in 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 the technological age you can sort of live in your own little world i mean we do it virtually anyway right we do it uh, we, we acknowledge the extent to which we all live in these ideological bubbles online but it's also the case that you can you don't have to be as much a part of the local community anymore as you used to have to be because of our, our advances in, in, in telecommunications and, and, right. and the, the information age that we live in. Right. And so uh, it's less likely now, just strictly as a, as a means of, of, of the technology that we use to interact with the world around us, that people automatically feel the need to, to assimilate in a way that they might have a generation or two ago. Right. I don't know. I'll stop talking now and let you react to anything you want to react to. I okay. Just, I, again, I, I, I get – it feels weird to even bring it up in this context because Your of – stop talking sounds weird. What happens – yeah. What happens to people like Douthit in this exact conversation? Uh, but there, there's some sort of – there's an inherent contradiction in the liberal project in terms of and, – and, and I'm, I'm sorry. I lied. I'm not going to stop talking because, because Second like, wind. The, like the gender stuff – it's on the one hand. So, so there, there was a tweet from Connor Friedersdorf, who's a annoying conservative writer at the Atlantic. And he said, he outlined something that we've actually talked about on the show in the last month or so about how the, the weird cognitive dissonance at the heart of the anti-turf transgender, gender critical lane of being online, which is that on the one hand, you insist that gender isn't a binary issue, that there's no good reason for a boy to dress like a boy or a girl to play with only play with dolls and that all of that is just socially constructed nonsense right and that's actually the sort of thing that's how i came up right Uh, sort of believing that gender though we do tend to fit into certain roles naturally or unnaturally whatever it is to some extent it is at least socially constructed right and that it's fucking bullshit and there's like there's no good reason for that to be the case uh but in the very next breath you're told that a boy who likes to do girly things now is actually a girl and must be permitted at 15 or 17 or even 18 right. or 20 to right. 
physically radically transform themselves to adhere to the gender concepts that we have that allegedly were socially constructed in the first place right, right. so like which is it and and you you it, it's like a sign of your willingness to concede to that cognitive dissonance that puts you on the right team in other words the cognitive dissonance is the point in a, right. in, in like a religious sort of fundamental sort of way you must accept the contradictory terms of our ideology as a sign of your willingness to just walk about in polite society. All right. Now, to me, it didn't seem to be that difficult of an issue, but uh, the one advice that I would have for sensible people, wherever you are, uh, especially in the center and on the left, like take ownership of this immigration issue. Like, for instance, don't uh, do not argue using the terminology from the right, right? So birth rate and uh, replacement and all this nonsense is right-wing terminology because people from Syria and people from Central America are not moving to these other countries from in the West because they're trying, oh, here we got to have a little problem with uh, cranking out kids and we'll replace that, right? They're coming in because of issues that exist in their own countries, right? So the responsibility for countries that can accommodate is to come up with a process to accommodate as many people as you can within reason, right? So come up with this number, come up with a process and go from there. Any sort of replacement or birth rate talk is... Like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, first of all, especially in America, I can't really speak for Europe. America is in the software business. It's not in the hardware business, right? What do you mean replace? Americans are, it's a set of ideas. It's not. Well, yeah, but you can't have a declining birth rate. That's, that's not how you no, stay a people. No, that's true. But the reason why 2 million people have uh, been processed through the southern border is not because of the birth rate, right? No, I These know. Are two I'm separate just, issues, I just, yeah. I know like, that. We need to have a workforce eventually to right. have money. And if everybody's not replacing themselves, that's not going to work out. And I guess it won't matter for us because it'll be someone else's problem. It's a problem. Right. But what I'm saying is that that's not what's motivating people from – the whole issue is there's too many people coming, right? This is – a separate issue from this framing that the right has come up with, right? What do you do when there is chaos in Central America? Like, this is a real problem. You need to come up with a system, come up with it. Right. This, there, the, the solution cannot be that the good countries will absorb all of the right. good people from the bad countries. Right. It's, it's, first of all, it's like fundamentally colonialist in like obvious ways, like not colonialist. Like we go out and we dominate their, their society, their sort of way, but right. it is, it, it is a drain of all of the things that all the vitality of an entire right. country you're uh, taking away. True. And what? That's true. I haven't thought about that. Right. It is exactly the criticism that they right. allegedly have. But what's happening is we're taking all of the most productive and 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 uh, the thing that I don't have, drive. People with drive, <laughs> right? The people who want to better themselves and make, make the world a fucking better place around them, they're leaving and coming here and becoming right. American. And right. that, is, that is the softest power, but, but like an, an insidious soft power that is being deployed by America in that case. In that case. Right. You need to make that place a better place for the people of El Salvador and Venezuela and fucking Syria and wherever and Somalia, for Christ's sake. Like, oh, yeah. 
You make those places better. And then we have thriving cultures in this world that we can all uh, partake in in important ways. And if not, like, wh what are we going to have? We just end up with fucking Walmart America here, right? right? Like, it's just bad news for the whole globe. Like, and I don't see how you don't see it that way. Why can't you? Why aren't you able to see it in its in its reverse form? And it drives me nuts, obviously. Right. I, I, I suspect that there, there isn't, like any answer, someone is going to be turned away, right? So I think people are just, they just don't want to deal with that. Like whatever number we would come up with, and it could be a very, you know, I, I forget what, uh, like from the Obama years to the Trump years, there was like a number of, you know, 125,000 immigrants we would receive. You know, there was like some number. And then it was like brought all the way down during yeah. the, uh, Trump year. I don't know what the number is now, but like, if you shot that number up, like in an orderly fashion, we're going to bring this up to five hundred thousand and a million, and then have some sort of working visa thing for the seasonal work, like some sort of thing. To it's almost like this, like brain swelling. You need to kind of a, just kind of like rip open the skull for a bit, let it cool, and come back down. Like there needs to be some sort of this is happening, right? Would you rather? Glad, glad you're not my doctor. <laughs> I loved that. When you get hit, that you're was like, great. You, you gotta accommodate that, or else there's gonna be some issue. Yeah, lift but, your head off, lift the top of your, let the brain air out. Yeah. That's great, Abe. Also, the 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 the, the stalemate. I mean, they, I'm not attributing this to any specific person, but this stalemate in America is going to inevitably, occasionally produce the situation like what would happen in San Antonio, where like. 40 people suffocate to death trying to smuggle in, right? Like you have a, such a p terrible system to where like, we don't know what we're doing. And you have a lot of failed countries in Central America, maybe help with that. That's going to take a while, but you just need to start talking through this problem. The don't problem is that you, you, you help with that. And now you're a neoliberal fucking asshole right now now you're a supremacist again now you're a colonialist again right but because the the truth of the matter is there is nothing that you can say that will not be a demonstration of your supremacist uh right. leanings one is, way or another shouldn't shouldn't the message be for the people who are making that case get over yourself and this is not about you right this is has nothing to do with you like you are not impacted at all one way like you you can be morally superior where everybody else is suffering like I don't understand. You're going to have all these countries be controlled by crazy people, right? And how does that help anything, right? Right. B because you feel superior on Twitter? Like, it is such a self up, just like, you're just so worried about yourself that you're not even concerned about the people you pretend you care about, right? right. This is not helping anybody out. Figure it out. On the birth rate thing, I think that, I think that where you stumble is just by saying birth rate, right? But why? The reason is because there's literally nothing, there's no way that you can approach the birth, the birth rate question or problem or however you want to frame it without seeming like a fucking crazy person, right? <laughs> without, and without seeming I, bad. This is news to me because, I don't know, a year ago, what, what two can years you do? ago? What can you do to fix the birth rate problem? You can't if you do see anything. It? Right, that's I mean, the point. Is immigration that, solves that, though, right? Yeah, that's yeah, but, like that's that's how you you don't solve the birth rate thing, but you solve like what is the problem? And the problem is that your population is declining, and you solve the declining population with 
immigration. Like that's obvious and not all right. It doesn't seem creepy to right. me at and all. It, it seems very And it works perfectly for a place like America because again, like what do you mean? You got here like a generation ago. You think you like like I don't understand who these people who think that they're so You're much also more. going up against you're going up against people who are somewhere between nihilistic about humanity's future on the planet because of the on you know the the coming global superstorm, right? <laughs> because of climate change. And people who believe that every, like people who fundamentally believe as a matter of ethical import that it is wrong to continue to reproduce at replacement rate and that, that it would be better if there were fewer people. So like any time that you bring up birth rate in that context, uh, you get in trouble from them uh, in that direction. But who are, again, like why is it so important that people who hold those opinions, like, I mean, not to discount what people think, but like it is such a... I mean, the current system that you have, the system would collapse, right? You have all these people retired, and they're expecting those things that they contributed to all the years to be funded. And if the ratio gets out of whack, the thing falls apart. It's like this pyramid scheme that we set up. Yes, you but need if, we, more people. if we starve all the seniors, then maybe we'll catch half a degree Celsius uh, <laughs> on the back end, right? <laughs> yeah, that's – yeah, I'm telling you. I think there's, there are some people that are way too comfortable in their lives – were opining about what should be done. It's like, what about what if you were in that person's position? If you're a migrant coming through these different places, are you helping their cause or aren't you? Like, and I don't think they are, and I don't think they even care. And, and so it's like, what the fuck's the point? Is this for your satisfaction? All right, we will save the other topic. Uh, for next time, I talked about Billy Corgan too much. I I do want very much want to talk about. This piece from the Atlantic called "The End." What was it called exactly? I'll get the I headline. I know, but it's it's really time for bed. I know that's why I'm saying we're not going to talk about this tonight, but we will. Oh. We will talk about this next week. The piece in the Atlantic. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give the I'll give the people out there a chance to oh. read this ahead of time, and then you can come as a listener. You can come to next week's episode. Uh, well informed, and right. instead of just listening to me blather about it, you can ha- have your own opinions. Uh, it's is this the beginning of the end of the internet? How a single Texas ruling could change the web forever? Uh, briefly, it's just about how Texas passed a very silly law that essentially makes it impossible. Uh, to be on the internet in Texas in any meaningful way. For and, platforms above, what, like 50 million? Right. So to be on, on Twitter or any of the other social media, Twitter, Facebook, and you name it, if it's a popular social media app, it is functionally impossible for it to continue to operate in Texas by the dictates of this of this new law that they came up with. But you can still use it. Uh, maybe not. So uh, Texas is going to – cool. Um, can we talk for a second about the New York Times article about how teens and you know college, the Gen Z people, are using TikTok instead of Google to find information? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's really? very sad. Is there a search feature in, in TikTok? Oh, I, I know it's not old know. when I said this. I'm going to – we're in trouble. <laughs> we are in some trouble. Right. One dance stuff, right? What, One what is more this? related article to point you to before we discuss it next week is about the Florida Stop Woke Act and a lawsuit. What? That, it's also known I mean, as the Individual Freedom Act. There's not a lot of freedom in the act, but yeah. 
Isn't it, isn't it called stop the stop woke act? I think Maybe I like, have that wrong. I, I thought woke. it was used interchangeable in the thing. Okay. Well, either way, uh, Florida is like the state. Their their state attorneys are all in on assaulting academic freedom in the state of Florida. And I'll I'll include a couple links in the show notes. But basically, Florida attorneys are arguing that professors at public universities have no more free speech rights than do high school teachers, uh, that they should be treated in the same way as high school teachers are as agents of the state who are not permitted to espouse their own views or thoughts on things and therefore could be controlled by the state of Florida in terms of what they are or are not allowed to say in the classroom. And we'll talk about that next week as well. The verb tense there just doesn't work. It's like stop. I mean, sat. it's not my goddamn. Any, anytime that deal. happens, I always think, oh, there's some sort of like one of those initial things, like every oh, I'm letter. Sure that there's an acronym there. Uh, <laughs> tune in next week to find out what the Stop Woke Act actually stands oh, for. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> You've been just... listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com, castironbrains.com. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. I want to quickly say to a number of our listeners who lost the patriarch of their family last week, Charles Messina was a great guy who passed last week in his, I believe his mid-90s now. He's an old man. My memories of him when I was a kid growing up, he was my best friend's grandfather, and I have only positive memories of him. A very funny guy, very intelligent guy. Uh, who I always enjoyed when we saw him around at various family gatherings. So, sorry for your loss, Messina clan. Oh. Abe, did yes. you make it to the movies this week? I did. I uh, went to go see uh, this movie with uh, that Harry Styles fella, Don't, Wor- Don't Worry Darling. Uh, uh, the the uh, very controversial <laughs> film from Olivia Wilde. Yes, uh, apparently there was some controversy in the uh, background. This movie was like just destroyed by the critics. Uh, the audience seemed to be okay with it, but I was just I saw the Rotten Tomato score and then I went in, which is something that I do. I'll uh, just kind of take a look at the number and then just watch it, or sometimes I'll watch it and then I'll try to guess the number because right. it's always weird. Like and and so this movie. Uh, I mean, the basic premise is one of these goofy. It's almost like an M Night Shyamalan movie where there's a twist. So the at the beginning, the uh, movie appears so to be spoilers. One spoiler. If <laughs> oh, if you yes. have any interest in seeing this movie without uh, getting Abe's capsule summary here, uh, <laughs> yes. stop listening. <laughs> but Abe's, Abe's going to ruin all of the twists for you right now. Right. So if you if anyone's seen the trailer, like you know, it seemed like this weird thing where like they're set in this weird like fifty style community uh and and basically that's just like a virtual reality thing and in real life like the florence Pugh character uh who's really good uh the movie was mediocre but she's pretty good uh she is basically in this weird virtual reality world with harry styles these are actual people who live in like modern day america uh and you know uh the, the gist of it is they've plugged into the matrix somehow. Basically. Yeah, they plugged into the matrix. Uh, the gist of it is like in the real world, she's like a she works hard at some hospital, and her dweeb boyfriend, who they kind of frumped up, uh, Harry Styles in some of the scenes, like he's just they, like 
They ugly, they ugly him up in the yeah, real they, life version. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, to con- contrast, you know, uh, in the 50s era, whatever, um, where he's all dolled up. Uh, but basically, it's he is not satisfied with the life. He's like just o- online in some stupid community, almost like a, I think uh, Olivia Wall alluded to like a Jordan Peterson type, like Chris Pine plays like, oh, it's not your fault, dude. You know, even though you're like a failure and you're depressed, right. it's really not your fault. Is this Ready Player One? Yeah, but it's not like a, a do you know toxic male thing. Like I don't know what uh, did Ready Ready Player One didn't get into that, right? Like no. from what I remember. Okay. No, no, it, it embodied it in certain ways, but <laughs> right? Didn't get but into basically, it. it takes way too long to get to the punchline. But the punchline is the Harry Styles character was not satisfied with his life. He kidnapped his own girlfriend, and she he strapped her to the bed, and he does like that uh, orange uh, movie thingy with the eyelids right. and whatever, and. Uh, she has to be there the whole time, and she's not aware of it. Then he can live his life, and then whenever he wants to play video games and be in this 50s era, he'll zap in, and he'll do all the things that he wants. Uh, so she is, an unwilling, she is an unwilling participant in the Unwilling, Matrix. and for right. most of the movie, unaware participant in right. this thing, right? She's basically been kidnapped, and the whole movie is so her trying ma- to figure out. The Matrix out. meets like Stepf- Stepford Wives. Right, yeah. But the, the, the thing is, like the, the concept... Could work. It didn't work here. The execution was poor, but it wasn't like this is the worst movie I've seen. So it's like, ah, it's very clumsily done. But the ratings and some of the the language people are using, like this is like the worst thing I've seen. And it's like, I don't know where all of that is coming from. Like, it's just like, it just didn't work. That's fine. These things happen. It didn't work. Everybody's very dramatic. It's very yeah. amusing. It's very amusing to me to look at the critic score of like 33%. So it got, it got, dumped on by many many critics right uh lots of critics hated it and it and yeah the audience score is closer to 70 percent. it's just fine it's just very funny to me that an adult movie that maybe doesn't quite work but at least has some interesting ideas gets absolutely dumped on yeah. by the critical class and then you go and you look at any of the like name a random Marvel movie in the last ten years. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and they've all got like seventy percent plus. It's weird because the yeah. curve that they grade those piece yeah. of shit movies on is like, ah, eh, I was there and I dicked around on Twitter for the entire time. But like, you know, people seem to like it, so fuck it. Who am I to say? Right. But like, but like a movie with a point of view and with something to say, it's like, ah, oh, I don't yeah. know about this one. This it's is like, a real piece of shit. How dare you try? Yeah, like how dare you? How try? dare you it, try? It, is exactly right. <laughs> By the way, what one of my favorite things of, about going to the theater, because uh, the movies are not always going to be good, right? But the one constant thing is, like, depending on the movie, the audience is different. Like, when I went to go out to Black King or Woman King, whatever that movie was, which was a fun movie, it was, like, 80 90% a black, older audience. It was a lot of fun. This movie, like, 23-year-old girls, and that's it. Like, it was, like, I was, like, one of the only dudes in there. Uh, the next so it's movie, a bunch, next, it's a bunch of One Direction grown up yeah. One Direction fans who came out to see their boy Harry Styles, and that's it. And then, and you. Uh, uh, by the time we uh, discuss uh, uh, what I watch next week, uh, it's gonna I'm gonna go see this uh, this rom com with the the bros. And I want to see nice. what the audience is going to be. It's like this what gay is, romantic comedy. It's, it's it's like a dude movie. It's like the Billy on the Street guy and some other guy. Oh, okay, and yeah, it's yeah. Like a, But I I expected that it's going to be. It's always just like I walk into the theater like oh these are different. It's like every week it's like, it's like a different 
you you would think it'd be the same people at all times. People don't watch movies it's together. It's so no. funny. Only you would think it would be yeah. the same no. people all the time. <laughs> I'm there. Why aren't they right. there? <laughs> God. Why are all of my movie-going <laughs> friends different? No, every that week? was one of my, one of the games I could play at the theater when I worked there. Yeah. We had six screens. It was about usually it was like three regular release mainstream movies yeah. and three foreign indie whatever movies. Yeah. Yeah. And judging what the people were seeing as they would walk up to hand me their ticket was so fun. And I was right so much of the yeah. time. And then every once in a while, it's just like, oh, that's not what I thought. Good job. Good for yeah. you. Theater no, you're four. right. When you see that, it's like, man, people are more predictable than, I, than you would want it to be. It's like, oh. This, yeah, I know what you're gonna see. I know what you're gonna see. Anyways. We didn't watch much. We just watched a sports. whole bunch of sports, and then we watched the we chit chatted incest the incest dragon show. Yeah. Oh man, the Braves just lost in extra innings, and the Mets just won in extra innings. Oh. So bummer. Uh, what was what happened in the incest dragon show? We had the time jump. The, there wasn't the, no incest this time. There was the by the way, uh, there's still incest. Yeah, That's still, his cousin. Still light incest. They're yet both cousins. They're married to cousins. Yet another episode of uh, some fake ass doctor. Like, oh, your wife. It's not ah, this whole baby thing is not working. You want to gut her? Like, what? What say you, uh, husband? You want to gut That's your what things? It's crazy. She like, <laughs> got exploded by a dragon instead. Yeah, I, like, I would yeah. rather that because it sounded like she was gonna bleed out to death. So it's like, yeah, just hey, dragon, kill me now. Make it quick. This show, and I know I'm probably sound like a broken record at this point, but. This show, again, and this is maybe the worst offender so far, episode six here, it feels like I'm reading the Wikipedia summary of the show that I'm not actually watching, right? right. That, <laughs> that they, just, they just keep giving me the one-line description of what happened to this character. And yeah, they're, they're technically they're showing it to me up there on the screen. Like, So Damon married... Uh, his cousin, who was who tried to become the 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 queen back when she was twelve years old, and they had some babies, and then she decided that her dragon was going to kill her instead of her being uh, killed in childbirth, right? Right. And like that's I just summed up the entire character arc of this person, and like I get nothing out of that. It is exactly the same as just reading episode summaries on the internet. Right. Uh, is is the the experience of actually watching this show? And I guess it's gonna be like I guess they have this whole big story to tell, uh, starting next season or with the end of this season or something. But so far, everything is just like. And here are the three lines that sum up this character, and we're gonna move on to the next thing as quickly as possible. And right. I I don't get it as a way of like <laughs> building a building a relationship with a show. I don't understand. I'm still it, it, it's entertaining. It's fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's entertaining. It, it it feels like I thought it would be the first five episodes when they did the, the the shift to the older actresses who are great. Um, um, I actually prefer them to the others, but uh, the first however until it slows down until they get to whatever uh, this civil war that's going to start. Uh, it seemed like it's like a prologue. Like this, these are kind of sitting on the table. These were friends, and now they're not friends anymore. Uh, this weird uncle was grooming his whatever, and they're going to circle back to that in the future. I'm sure. Basically, like <laughs> this is all happening. This the I know. It's, I don't know how else to say the the cripple guy who like killed his uh, old man and his brother. Right. Yeah, uh, the that, new Baelish. Yeah, that guy. Like he's going to be evil. Uh, 
And that's all you need to know. The rest of the stuff, don't worry about it. And then the the, the show will actually start. Like right, I don't know. Right. So that guy who was the uh, head the of the city watch people? or whatever, yeah. and the, the 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 princess's lover, the the father of her bastard children. Yeah. Uh, like just summed up his entire life, right? Right. Like okay, so in the interve- intervening years, they carried on a very long-standing illicit affair. They had three kids, and then he got into a fight and left. And his asshole brother uh, ripped the tongues out of some weirdos who then yeah. burned his castle to the ground, right? right. And that's the oh, – nope, there we are. We're all yeah. cut up now yeah. with that guy's Wikipedia <laughs> entry. Like what? what is this show? What is even happening? Also, Catherine pointed out everyone aged 10 years except three white dudes. Yeah. Like they're all – they all look exactly the same Like somehow. they didn't like – Try to age. I mean, the the king nope, is same. like a, a no time has old, passed. Oh, the for king, them. the king looks way older. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. but the the knight guy and the yeah uh, new Baelish. What is the difference between a, a functional difference between like a twenty two year old dude and a thirty two year old? Funny. Dude? It's, it's funny. It's funny because everyone else they went ahead and aged, and it's just like right. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, and there, again, there, there's no there's no effort. Did anyone even get a haircut or something? Everybody just like oh, no, they're the yeah. same. Yeah, They've it's not like <laughs> but the, they gotta come on. I, I enjoy this king. He can't be showing up in the next. It's like almost like a Monty Python thing. He's gonna come up with like no legs in the seventh episode. Like it just kill him off. Like just he's almost dead. Let him die in peace. They'll do it in episode nine. Yeah. I think he can't. He can't make it past this episode. He's gotta die next episode. My primary concern here is in that there are no characters that you can root for or care about, and I don't know how you can build a multi-season show without somebody who's. Like not even necessarily good, but somebody you can root for. Like there's got that, to be you know, somebody. I've heard that. Is that an important question? Because I'd actually in the original Game of Thrones and also in Breaking Bad. I mean, I was amused by Walt. I never actually rooted for that. It's just like this is a lot of shit that's happening, and let's see what happens. So it's like I'm some not, people. I, yeah, I think I thought it was despicable people who were rooting for Walt. But there were at least in that case, you're like I don't know. There's there's a there's a there are fraught moral issues at stake there, right? right? There are big ethical questions. And here it's just like, this is this asshole grasping for power. And right. here is this asshole yeah. grasping for power. Oh, and over here, that's another asshole grasping for power. And I don't know what is what makes that compelling. Like, I don't right. know how you and make again, that. Maybe the, the show hasn't started yet because they're just getting to the Wikipedia entries. Do you think the, uh, the gay husband gave it a few cracks before she said, fuck it. Let me right. just so actually- that's the other, that's the other problem with these time jumps. And now ah, we're talking about this too much, probably. <laughs> but the, the problem with the time jump is that if I'm going to have any sympathy for Rhaenyra and her, her, the situation that she's in, I need to see them giving it a go. Right. right. Yeah. I need to, I need to see them <laughs> trying at least because otherwise she's just well, an idiot. Well, we saw it with with Marjorie and whatever that king's name Tommen? Uh, Barat- Baratheon? Tommen no. Baratheon? No. No. Tommen like the, was a the Lannister. teenage kid or the It, it was like Tommen season was, first 2 of all, or 3. No. Tommen was not a Lannister. He was a Baratheon. He was technically a Lannister because he was Jamie's bastard child. But he was officially he was the king's. He was Tommen Baratheon, son of son of Robert. Is he the one that uh, jumped over where the guy was yeah, uh, yanking it? A... No, not him. That's not who I'm talking about. Okay. Her brother was banging. Uh, yeah. What's his name's younger brother? Stannis's younger brother was banging Marjorie's. Yes, that's brother. who I'm talking about. Okay. What was his name? 
Renly. Renly no Baratheon. Got that. Yeah. <laughs> so, which it's like what I wanted to say, but I felt like I was going to be wrong. Renly Baratheon is who she married, and she was like, do you want my brother to come so that you'll be interested? Like, it was a whole thing. Oh, okay. And yeah. we saw it happen. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I, and I think they, they gave voice to it. Like, you know, sometimes because I guess they don't have time, they'll they'll say a line. They'll say, like, I did my duty. And, like, did they mean duty in that way? Or, like, he kept right. his Clearly gay stuff he on doesn't. the side? Like, and that's – it just it, – it makes her a completely unrelatable and unacceptable character. And it, it would be one thing if we saw it all happen, right? right? But instead, we didn't see any of it happen. And so now we have to take all of this shorthand – and it's just really hard to get right. behind her in any reasonable way, given the fact that it's just so obvious that you just have to convince this guy to give you his sperm a right. couple of times a year. And, like, one way or another, you can make that work. They've got abortion tea and plan B tea yeah. or whatever the fuck. Like, yeah. you can do some bogus artificial insemination one way or another with the gay guy. I, 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 I suppose they're trying to go for uh, Renera just flippant because she— in earlier episodes, said uh, they'll 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 accept me because I, you know that's the rule. Like she thinks that whatever I'll do whatever I want and you'll accept me because you think she's on shaky ground as a woman in the, in that time where it would cause an issue. You think that she would go above and beyond to make sure that the kids are solid. That right. way, it's the same thing as like the insistence that like she would be willing to be seen making out with her uncle right. in a yeah. fucking brothel in downtown Kings Landing. At least she was like a like, kid. No, then. this is just yeah. an idiot. Then, yeah. like, what, what the fuck is this person? Like, no, like it's just not not anyone that we should care about. You can cut her some slack in her youth, but now you know, you gotta know better. Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep watching, but like again, yeah. like, I, the ratings keep going up. We, by the way, but yeah. I... <laughs> you uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. Uh, I mean, we're recording now, so we don't have to include this, but uh, going back to the worlds colliding thing, yeah. uh, it reminded me, you know, like in school, if I was in a class, like high school or middle school, whatever, if I was in a, in a class with somebody that I knew, I would be at chatty Kathy type right just ah, what up blah 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 if there's no one that I knew I wouldn't say one word right. and uh, during one of the like mid-year review one of those things like I think it was in Canada it was somewhere where, where they would leave, put a grade and leave comments and the previous teacher would say good job but you gotta you know something about like you're being a class clown or you're saying too much right. and the person reading it was a teacher that i said nothing in and he kind of <laughs> gave me this like what <laughs> the fuck like he was so like i think they got the wrong somalian here i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but basically just like i just read the room i don't know anybody i'm not saying anything if i know somebody i'll say something right. That's, that is that is probably a topic that is worth uh talking about in the show at some point about this notion of code switching has become like weirdly racialized yeah, I don't, yeah. Because when I first heard it, I was like, wait, you mean like, because I mean, my coworkers would be so surprised if they listened to like three minutes of like either podcast, really, right. especially the other podcast. <laughs> right. Like, there was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Braves really sucks. 
So does this uh, like do they would need to like sweep the series, or are they basically out of it now? I mean, you're only a game back. You need to win at least. I mean, you have to win two out of three, or else you're not going to win the division. But but even that would be well, wouldn't that be like a tie-breaking kind of thing? If you win two out of three against the Mets, then you're tied going into the last three games of the season. We play the Marlins, they play oh, the Nats, and then it oh, just God. becomes a question of who performs better. And yeah. then it goes, if if they have the same record at the end of the year, it does go to head-to-head, and whoever has the edge in the head-to-head matchups wins the division. Gotcha. It's like hard to overstate how important winning the division is this year because you just do not want to end up as a hundred plus win team in a three game goddamn wild card round against like the Padres. It right. would just suck. Anyway, right. the uh dogs really look like shit this weekend too, didn't they? <laughs> well, did they? You know, it didn't look like shit at the end. Colts, my Super Bowl Colts. You know that guy? 